Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise God. And we are, we are so happy to see Sister Franklin this morning with us. So glad the Franklins are here. Praise God. Praise God. Wednesday night. I, I went to Brother Green, and you know I don't lie. I went to Brother Green, and I said, Brother Green, that may be the greatest message I have ever heard preached. If not, it's certainly one of the top five I have ever heard in my life. And you know, do you remember how we began the service? We said, let's pray that God speaks, ask God to speak to me, not to somebody else. I'm not gonna judge that message for somebody else, but speak to me, and God spoke to me. Did he speak to you? And you know what, God has the ability, before I bring Brother Green, God has the ability to draw people by his spirit and bring them to this place on November the 16th, 2014, brings a man from Atlanta, Georgia with a message just for you. You're here today by a divine appointment and you're going to hear a message today that God has prepared for you. Are you ready? Brother Green, we appreciate you. Come and take your liberty. We love you and respect you. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. I'm learning how to carry my glasses with me. And since I've gotten a little bit over, well, not as young as I used to be, then I, <clears throat> I need them for reading. And so I'm, feel like I'm fumbling everything up here to try to get my glasses up here with me as well. I want you to turn to someone beside you and just bless them in the name of the Lord. Now we do things like that a lot. We do things like that a lot. God bless you and bless you and shake your hand and love on you. But there is tremendous power when the church of the living God speaks blessing. I was in a church service just a few months ago and felt the Holy Ghost speak to me like he has this morning. And what I told them to do was to turn to somebody and bless them and their finance and tell them they are gonna receive a raise on their job. Tell them they're gonna get the position that they need. Tell them that God is gonna bless them from out of nowhere financially. Two weeks later, the gentleman came up to me. I was preaching in a different church, but he had driven some ways to try to get my attention. And he said, if you remember that blessing, he said, I was kind of laughing and talking to my friend because I had just received a raise. But I went into the job and the boss man called me in. I sat down and still it was not clicking what was happening. He pulled out papers from beside him and moved them across the desk. These were the same papers that I had signed for a raise just two weeks before. 
Tears began to run down my face. Leonard told me, he said, I couldn't believe that it was God blessing me again. I was just blessed. When the boss saw that there were tears in my eyes, he said, well, you know, I know this is good, but what's up with this? He said, you don't understand. God told me in church service yesterday that he was going to bless me in my finance. And the boss said, well, I want you to understand this. This isn't just because that you're doing such a great work on the job, but there's something about your attitude. There's something about your, your spirit. And there's a lot of foul language on the job, but when you show up, it changes. And there's a lot of bickering, but when you're in the place, somehow there's peace. He said, matter of fact, I'm paying you because I want you to take your liberty to tell your testimony and to speak to people here how they can have a life like you have. <clears throat> there's power in blessing. And I would not do this except I feel specifically of the Holy Ghost. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to bless them in their provision. Bless them in their finance. And tell them they're going to get a raise on the job. They're going to get a position. They're going to get what they need in God. God is going to bless you in the name of Jesus. Uh, receive blessing in the name of Jesus. Receive that job you need. Receive, receive that blessing in the name of Jesus. Whew. Now, if you receive it, just clap your hands in faith expectation. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, God, for speaking your word to us. Thank you, Lord, for prophetic utterance. Praise the Lord. I'm reading from two portions of Scripture. First, from Luke chapter 24. And this is the time of the Great Commission. This is right before Jesus is ascending up into heaven. And then I will also read from Matthew chapter 28, which will be the same time frame, but just Matthew's rendition of the same experience. So Luke 24, verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And then Matthew 28, it's the same time period, but Matthew has a specific understanding here in verse 20. Jesus is speaking to the disciples right before he ascends, and he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of of the world. Amen. <clears throat> I had an old timer tell me that this is why he doesn't fly in airplanes because the scripture said, Lo, I'm with you always. We know that's not talking about height or depth, but it's just saying, Listen up or behold, <laughs> I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. If you'll give me about 28 minutes and 16 seconds. 
I'm going to preach what a friend we have in Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. Those that study human behavior and have given themselves to the pursuit of understanding psychology of mankind tell us that most individuals will have two or three friends in a lifetime that most individuals will only have two or three real close friends in a lifetime. Now, I happen to believe that if you're part of the church of the living God, that this statistic has to go way up. Because there's something about people of like precious faith that worship together and pray together and carry each other's burdens. I feel like I'm blessed beyond most people and have many friends. But most people, according to study of human behavior have only two or three close friends in a lifetime. I guess if I was to try to define what friendship is, a friend is just someone who is always there for you. They might not live close by you. They might be on the other side of the world, but pick up your smartphone and Skype or FaceTime and it's it's like they're right there with you. you. You hear their voice and it's like they're just in the room beside you. And when you talk, you might not have talked for weeks, but the conversation picks back up and it's like you've been talking. Just someone who is always there for you. I have been so privileged that I have had the opportunity to marry my best friend. And my wife, Lois, is the most closest friend that I have, wonderful woman of God. But as I reflect upon the wedding vows that I made to her before friends and family, I, I was not just promising her husband status, but I was speaking to her also of friendship. For I told her that I'm going to be with you. <laughs> I'm going to be with you if times are good or times are bad. I will be with you. I told her that I would be there with you if we were rich or we were poor. That I would be with you in sickness or in health. And this is not just a vow of lovers, but also a vow of friendship. For friends are someone that is always there for you. I had a wonderful pastor I served under in Houston, Texas for a couple of years. And this great man of God began to relate to me a story of friendship. And he said, friendship is like a bus that's about to take a long journey. And every seat in this bus is completely filled. People have their luggage and they have little snacks and they, they've got all the things that they would need for this long trip. And two people to every seat, the bus is packed. And the bus driver's beginning that long journey, but then at the last minute, someone drives up who's running a little late. There's always somebody. Why'd you just look at that person? There's always somebody <laughs> that comes a little bit late. And so they're late and they come running up to the bus and they say, hey, here's a room for one more. And the bus driver puts them brakes on and opens the doors and they stand in the middle aisle looking down that bus that's completely full. Under one arm, they're holding that heavy overcoat and a suitcase in that hand. Under the other arm is a bag of goodies and in the last hand is a 
kitty cat. <laughs> Everybody here love cats? They're wonderful to eat. You should, you should really love cats. I'm teasing you. No Chinese for me today. <clears throat> and they're looking down the aisle of this bus, and there's no place for them to sit. But a friend... A friend from the back of the bus stands up and says, hey, come on back here, friend, and sit with me. There's no room. It's already crowded with two people in the seat. And on that long journey, the suitcase of the friend is banging against the knees of the other friend. And on this long bus drive, they're uncomfortable, squished like sardines in a can, trying to stay on this seat. On this long drive, it's there kitty cat that's shedding his hair on their clothes and tickling their face with his sandpaper tongue. It's, a, it's, it's just the baggage that friends have, but you don't seem to mind too much because it's your friend. And all friends have baggage. In fact, usually that's what we have so much fun with our friends about is picking on them about their baggage personality quirks, habits, different particular unique features that they might possess, baggage that friends might have. But when I began to consider God is my friend, I bring a lot of baggage into this relationship. And I don't make him look good <laughs> with my baggage. It has to be uncomfortable to a righteous God when I have lack of character, when I have flaws, when I have mistakes in my life. But yet, he would choose to be my friend. The president of Columbia Seminary and Bible College at this particular time, it was the number one Bible college for sending out missionaries into foreign fields. And the director or the leader of this Bible college, president stands before his board of directors and he begins to read this morning to them a letter of resignation. They are gasp as he begins to declare his intention to resign. He reads his letter, tells them the reason is because his wife has Alzheimer's disease and he needs to spend time with her, folds his letter, puts it in the envelope, pushes it across the table and gets up to leave. His board of directors began to appeal to him. They said, please sit down for just a moment. Let us talk to you. We cannot let you resign today. There are two main reasons why you cannot resign. They said, first, look at the effectiveness of your ministry. More missionaries have been sent all over the world. The gospel is being preached all over the world because of your ministry and because of the effectiveness of your ministry here at Columbia. Please don't resign. And then secondly, it is terribly tough for us to say, but this disease that we all hate, Alzheimer, is still in the memory of your wife. And it won't be long until she won't remember who you are. And any time that you spend with her will be wasted. Tears freely flowing down his face. He responds to them one last time by saying, these are the exact reasons why I must resign. 
For it's not a man only that does the work of the ministry. But a team can do more than what an individual could. And this team will continue to do the ministry that God has begun in us. He will finish in us. And then he said, I know it was tough for you to say. Most of you have already known for some time that my wife has had this disease. He said, I've had to put her into an assisted living where they could take care of her. He said, before I came by today, I went by there and saw her. When I walked into the room, I said, hey, baby, I'm here. And she turned to look, but there was no recognition in her eyes. He said, I went over to where she was and sat down beside her there on the couch and put my arm around her. I said, baby doll, I miss you so much. I caressed her cheeks with my lips and touched her hair, looked her in the eyes and told her how much I love her. But it, he said, honestly, it could have just been some stranger or perhaps some friend that is in the home there that she didn't know who I was. So he said, you're right. The disease has already progressed to the place that she doesn't know who I am. But he said, that's not the fullness of the story. She might never know again who I am, but I still know who she is. She has been my wife for 35 years, the mother of my two children, my constant companion. She has been my ministry inspiration, but most of all, she has been my best friend. And as she never knows me again, I'm gonna spend every moment I can with her because I know who she is. She's my best friend. Friendship. Friendship. I know this. There have been times in my friendship with the Lord that I have failed him. And there have been times in my friendship with God that I was not even sure where he was. And like Job prayed, I... Before and behind, he was not available to me. On right hand of power, he was not there. On the left hand where he works, could not find him. But the same testimony Job has, I feel strongly today, is that even when I can't find him, I still know he knows the path that I take. He knows who I am. Joseph Scriven, true story. Mr. Joseph Scriven was born to wealthy parents in Dublin, Ireland. His parents were socialites. They had old money and they spent their money on parties and parties went into perversions, immorality, drunkenness. It wasn't long until Joseph, growing up in this environment, realized how shallow, how empty this was. 25 years of age, he began to search for the purpose that he would have in life. Leaving the parties where his families were getting drunk and debauchery and hurting of relationship and health was happening. He began to walk down the road and a couple miles down the road he passed a little builded, little boarded white building, church. And as he walked by the doors, he could hear singing coming through the cracks of the doors. He put his ear against the door to try to hear what they were saying and the choir was singing something about 
God that loves him, that went to Calvary's hill for him, that died and paid the price so that he could have repentance, remission of sins, and fill of the Holy Ghost. Joseph was intrigued about this man, Jesus, walked into the doors and sat on the back pew. Preacher began to preach the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that you, Joseph, you, it seemed so personal as he was preaching the message, Joseph thought it was right to him that you could have forgiveness of sin that you could be washed in the waters of baptism, that you could have this relationship with the holy God and you could know him as your friend. And that night, G Joseph walked down to the front, gave his life to Christ. It changed him. He truly was a new creature in Christ Jesus. He went back to tell his parents about the wonderful friend he had found in Jesus and to his shock, his parents did not want to hear about it. They didn't want to hear about the peace that he had found and the hope that he had found. They were still unrepented and living in the debauchery of their lifestyle. But it so changed Joseph's life until it brought conviction upon his parents. And they began to tell him, do not go back to that church, Joseph. If you go back to that church, we will we'll quit talking to you. Joseph continued to go. If you go back to that church, we will disown you. Joseph had found a friend in Jesus. He was going to serve him. He went to church. Finally, they gave him the ultimatum. If you go back, we're taking you out of our will and we'll tell our friends we don't even have a son named Joseph. And they ostracized Joseph. They began to tell their friends they don't know a man named Joseph. It wasn't long until Joseph fell in love with a beautiful young lady in the choir. Long story short, at 25 years of age, it was a short dating, short courtship. And now the day before they would be married, true story, tragically, mysteriously, his fiance drowned in a nearby river. And now Joseph has lost his beloved fiance. He has been estranged from his parents he decides that he will board a ship and travel and there maybe start a new life somewhere with this friend Jesus with him. He travels and finds himself in a province of Canada. I believe he made his way all the way to Ontario. And there Joseph Scriven lived in a small town. And the testimony of those of the town said that Joseph was a little strange, kind of kept to himself. But in a cold day, he would walk across the street taking the coat off his back and put it on the back of a stranger and without any words, just turn and walk away. You could find Joseph chopping wood, not, not, not for money and not for food, but he would chop wood for the widow who needed winter storage. You could find him in the fields, not harvesting his own crop, but the farmer that was down in his back would not know what to do and hear that his field was being harvested. His bone, his barns were being filled and Joseph was just doing the work. He was living out the principles that his friend Jesus spoke about the kingdom. It's only a few months. Joseph receives a telegram that his mother is on her deathbed. 
And with her last request, she's reaching out to Joseph for forgiveness. And so Joseph begins to sit down and write. He doesn't have money to go back home. Doesn't have the fare of a ship to travel back. Would not arrive there in time in any circumstance. So he decides to send a telegram and he begins to write this poem to his mother. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. He doesn't take time to say you're forgiven. He doesn't take time to say where he's been, what he's done. But he said, Mama, if you've only got a few moments to live, this is what I want you to know. If you've trials and temptation, is there trouble anywhere? You should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can you find a friend so faithful who will all your sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. There on that scratch piece of paper, he began to pin out the last refrains of this poem. Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms they'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. It's unclear and history does not let us know whether he was able ever to send this telegram to his mother. For shortly after hearing the news, he himself became sick with pneumonia. When they began to be missed around town, they searched the humble apartment where he was staying only to find that he had passed on into his eternity with this poem and a pencil still setting upon the scrap piece of paper on top of it on his nightstand. It was some years later when Charles Converse began to put music to this tremendous poem and now the great hymn we have, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. But I guess what is key for us to understand is that what we're reading here in our text is not just relationship of servants serving the Lord Jesus as a master. And it's not just relationship as savior and creation that needs to be saved. And this is not just relationship of rabbi and student, but over and over and over, we see Jesus speaking to the disciples and saying, I'm a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now, they say that blood is thick, but Jesus said, the friendship I have sticketh closer than a brother. He began to tell them of promises. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He said to them, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And this friendship that he's speaking about is exampled as they walk together, talk together, spend time together. But because of the 
physicality of living in them days and having flesh like all of us do. There were times when Jesus had to leave his friends to go to the mountaintop to to be renewed and to have strength. We find him separating himself from us. Even though he's their friend and he's close to them, there were times that he was apart from them. There were times of life, circumstance. But now that they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and Calvary is on the calendar for just the next few hours, Jesus seemingly is taken from them as a friend. For the soldiers come into the garden and they arrest him. Simon Peter tries to fight by cutting the ear of Malchus off. Jesus tells him, put away your sword. You don't have to fight for this friendship. They take him away and there before a man, God is judged. (laughs) And the judge, mankind, fallibility said, scourge him, beat him, crucify him. And at the very best, the friends are watching from a long distance off as Jesus is taken out that way of suffering to Golgotha's heel. And now Calvary begins. It, it looks like the soldiers took their friend from them. But now when he's on Calvary and he's breathing his last and then words of finality when he says to thy spirit and now it's finished and he breathes his last and the flesh that God had dwelled in died. No doubt all the disciples, all of his friends, all of his friends had seen death before in their life. Maybe a grandpa or a grandma, maybe even just a pet they were close. But all of them had experienced death. And they knew how final death was because now they have only the memories of their times together and the things that he spoke and the things that he did because this is their experience that death even is more powerful than friendship. But three Days later, the stone is rolled away and Jesus Christ resurrects because his friendship is more powerful than the grave. His friendship is stronger than death itself. He has even gone to hell and he holds the keys to hell itself because his friendship is more powerful than death, hell, and the grave. And now that he is resurrected, he has shown himself to his friends and they realize Jesus' friendship bigger than the grave, more powerful than death. But now they have spent several weeks together after the resurrection of Christ and now he's taken them on this long walk. The scripture said that they were traveling from Jerusalem and there seems to be just a lingering. You know, they, they don't want to leave. They're with their friends and they're just walking and talking. Matter of fact, it's like they were walking and all of a sudden they realized, my goodness, we have walked all the way to Bethany. That's a four-mile journey. And Jesus said, that, that's, that's it, it's time. And he began to explain to them to the scripture and he said it behooved Christ that word behoove mean it was good for Christ 
to suffer, to die, and to be raised the third day so that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. And behold, I send the promise of my Father. Part of that promise is the promise of friendship. I'll never leave you. Never forsake you. Matter of fact, he reiterated in Matthew 28 and 20, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So go wait in Jerusalem for the promise that I'm telling you. And then he begins to ascend up into heaven. And as he ascends up into heaven, they are watching him. You ever done that and out the back window and then your grandparents were and you're still... Out the airplane window, you know you can still see the card out there. That's it. Just, they're just gazing up, trying to get one more look of him. And the clouds encompass him. And angels began to speak to them. And there they are in their midst. And they said, what are you doing here? Didn't he tell you about a promise? He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's going to be with you always, even to the end of the world. Go to Jerusalem and wait for that promise. And so here in Acts, they begin to wait for the promise. And as you begin to read the actions of the apostles, you find yourself in chapter 2, where they were all with one mind and one accord in one place. And then the presence of their friend showed up. And just like they knew his presence, they knew he was there. But they can't see him in physical form because his spirit has come back without the flesh. And as they're worshiping him, they are all filled in their heart and their soul with his spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit of God give the utterance. This is the promise of his friendship. Because before they would have to leave physicality, time, and circumstance. But now that he is living in their heart, he's with them always. And when they lay down to sleep, he's, he's there. And when they wake up in the morning, he's there. And when times are good, he's there. And when times are tough, he's still the paraclete, he's still the comforter. He's, he's there in the power of the Holy Ghost. But why this is even eternally more important is this. If you so have the privilege, and I'm closing, if you so have the privilege to live a long and quality life and at the age of 150, you're on your deathbed and you're breathing your last breaths and maybe your closest friends are around you, your loved ones, your families, and you are letting them know that your life has been a joy because of them and all your goodbyes. And then you will breathe your last and your spirit will leave this flesh and you will be separated from your friends. We all know death does that. But if you have this friend Jesus living in your heart through the power of the Holy Ghost, same scenario, you breathe your last breath, your soul begins to leave your flesh, but it won't go across Jordan's rolling tide alone. Because the same Jesus that you've been worshiping in Sunday service and the same Jesus that you've been praying to on a daily basis will be with you as you go to your eternity. And if, 
if those that have had life after death experiences and if what they are seeing is legit, then, then they tell us that you shortly after death travel down this tunnel where there's a brilliant light. And if you get to the end of that tunnel, you come into this light and there's vibrancy of colors that cannot be described in physicality or in the English or any verbiage. If that's true, you won't experience that crossing over alone for that Holy Ghost that is with you will be with you then. And then in that time of rest, paradise before eternity, whatever that rest is, again, you'll be sleeping with the presence of your friend upon you. The Bible says that all men, great and small, will stand before the great white throne judgment. But as we stand there, others with shaking knees and trembling voice, but you with your friend Jesus. And when the righteous judge declares your judgment, and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys that I have prepared for you and you reach out and you touch that gate that is made of one solid pearl and your feet are treading upon transparent pure gold, the pavement of that city and down the road is your mansion, whatever that is. You won't be experiencing this alone for everything that Jesus is to you as a friend, he will be with you through eternity. In fact, Matthew 28 and 20 says, Lord, I'm with you always even to the end of the world but that word end speaks of timing completion finality and the word world is the Greek word which we get eon from it speaks of eternity so the word can literally be translated lo I'm with you always even to the completion of all eternity he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother but I understand why it's good for me that Jesus went to Calvary. I understand that because in my mistake-filled life, I need a Savior. And this Holy Spirit cannot live in a, it cannot cohabitate sin. And so he went to the cross to pay the price so that I could be forgiven. And through his death, I can ask forgiveness. And through his burial, I can be baptized with him. Call on the name of Jesus, which washes me. And now that I'm forgiven and washed, his Holy Spirit can come live in a forgiven, washed vessel. So I know why it was so good that Christ suffered and died, but that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say it's good for you. He said it's good for me because that's how much he loves us. That he was so willing to suffer, and to die, and to pay the price because that gives him opportunity to never leave you and never forsake you. He said it was good for Christ to pay the price so you could have his spirit living in you. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
all sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Would you stand with me today? If our musician team would come. Greatest thing that's ever happened to me in this life and even in my soul's eternity is that I received this friend Jesus in my life through the power of the Holy Ghost. Not only is he a comforter that is always with me. And when times are good, I can rejoice and he's there with me. When times are tough, I lean on him and often he carries me. When I'm blessed, riches. And when I'm blessed to learn to be content without riches, he's still there. He's always there. This service this morning has been designed by the Holy Ghost for you. And if you have not yet received this gift of the Holy Ghost, then the intimacy of this friend Jesus is not fully complete in your life. But he wants that to happen for you today. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He wants you to have that friendship with him where he never leaves you, never forsakes you. Even when it comes that time, all flesh will come to that time and we go to our eternity, then more than ever, what a friend we have in Jesus. I love him so much. I'm so thankful that he lets me bring my baggage and just turn it over to him and that he forgives. Church, would you be powerful in your testimony this morning? And as you have turned so many times in fellowship to someone close by you, this time as you turn to them, would you invite them to come down to the front with you and just assure that Jesus is living in your heart again today? Would, would you do that right now, turning to the person beside you? inviting them to come with you down to this front area. Bring your friend. There you go. I'm glad some of your friends are your spouses. That's beautiful. <laughs> Bring your friend with you. Just come on down to the front. We're going to talk to our friend in this place today. We're, we're going to let his spirit, his Holy Spirit, be fresh in our hearts and our lives. We're going to pray again and His Spirit comes upon us in the Holy Ghost. And we're going to let the power of God be a friend to each and every one in this house today. You have your friend with you? Look at that. Almost everybody's coming. That's beautiful. Would you just begin to talk to our friend Jesus and begin to invite Him in your heart? 
Would you do that? The ministry is going to walk in this altar and is going to pray with people. Anybody that wants prayer, you can lift your hand. God is doing tremendous work. He wants to bless you. And just for the next few moments, would you just entertain our friend Jesus with your worship? Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.